Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So, last week we began a new series um, looking at the the coming of Messiah. And um, I just want to kind of remind you, this isn't good. All right, so remember I said that... uh, that the uh, um, the printer died and all that kind of stuff. And once you know that the the uh, message that I moved over here was last week's message. So, so we're going to see how well I know this message. That's good. I didn't want to go for my phone anyway. <laughs> it's on my computer, but that's up there. So, anyways, so this is fun. Anyways, so anyways, seriously, for real. Okay, so... Um, the Messiah, so the coming of Messiah. And we have to remember that this is a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah. Okay? And so it's all in that realm of Judaism. And in Sunday school, we talked a little bit about um, God using different nations, anyways, coming in and, and pummeling. So I don't want to get into all that. But there was a comment I made during it that that a lot of times we, we tend to lose focus of the fact that there is the rest of the world out there. I tend to be very um, self-focused, um, like I'm in a tunnel, tunnel vision. Like, you exist right now because you're in my realm of, of living. Make sense? That the rest of the week, you become inanimate. You don't really do anything, but you become animate and you do things. Now, I know that's not true, but it's almost like I think that way. It's very hard for me to comprehend the fact that people have lives outside of what I'm looking at, you know, and that you really, you all have jobs, you go to it, you have neighbors that you talk to, you have all these things that are going on, and it's, biblically, we've got to remember that as well. A lot of times we focus when we study the Bible about what? Everything that's going on. Well, there's a world that's out there, and so today, we are continuing our focus on Let's hit the lights just real quick. I got a couple maps. Um, it's going to be easier to see. Okay, that we're we actually are focusing on this little section here. Okay, and this isn't even. I didn't even start with a picture of the the whole globe. Make sense? But we go all the way over here to, to Italy. So that gives Rome, Corinth, which we just st- studied a little bit ago. Okay, that was the city of Corinth. Okay, all the way over this way. You know, you've got going into. Iraq and Iran and, and all that kind of stuff heading over toward um, India, okay? And, but we're going to talk about this little bitty section. This is where we're talking about. This is where Jesus spent the entirety of his life. He didn't travel out here. You know, he was never in the United States. He was never in Italy. He was never in Greece, at least in his incarnate presence. And so as we get a little closer to it, we begin to see a little bit more that's going on. And so now, as we come in closer, we begin to see the proximity of Nazareth to um, Jerusalem. And you'll note that I have one dot for Jerusalem and Bethlehem. They're that close. They're approximately six miles apart. Okay? Now, for us, that doesn't seem like, whoa, you know, whatever. But if you're walking by foot on unpaved roads, that's a what? That's a distance. And so we have to start, again, thinking differently than we think. Everything we think about now is interstate. And, I mean, now we got Riverwatch, right? It's not even an interstate. But now I can jump off onto Old Evans Road right here, right? And I just 
go down to Riverwatch, and I can travel Riverwatch. It becomes Hereford Farm, right? Hereford Farm becomes Lewiston. I'm already in Grovetown. Okay? And if you don't realize, that's the next step of Riverwatch anyway. They're going to continue marching that out. Eventually, you're going to be able to get on uh, this big four-lane road, and boom, you're in Grovetown. So did you guys come Riverwatch this morning, or did you come I-20? I-20. So there's multiple ways to, to, to get there from here, right? So did you guys come from the lake today, or did you come from your house? How long did it take you? 20 minutes? Really? Must have been a lot of traffic. Anyways, you're driving to speed limit, weren't you? Uh, anyways, <laughs> so, so think about that. And you guys live about how far away? Yeah. It's, it's probably close to six miles by the... the by, by as, as the bird flies or as you travel? Yeah, so as the bird flies, I think that you guys out in that Grovetown area are probably in that five to seven mile range, okay? And so when we think about that, that kind of gives us this concept. What is it? 7.9 miles. Over the roads. So find out what it is, though, like as the arrow, as the, as the bird flies, okay? That's really the concept, okay? Because that's how far Jerusalem is. Bethlehem. Again, not by the roads, but by as the bird flies. Make sense? Okay. So, but it's different as you are, as you're walking along. And so, Joseph and Mary began in Nazareth. That's not what we're going to see in Matthew 2. Okay. So, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start with an epilogue to the story of the wise men. And then we're going to, at the end, we're going to look at the, this prologue. Because we start, really, the story is going to start in Nazareth, and it's going to end in Nazareth. But the bulk of what we're going to talk about today happens where? Come on. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Thank you. Jonah just read it. Make Jonah feel better now. Come on. Everybody needs to have listened, right? Okay. So it happens in, in Bethlehem. Okay. So as we get closer now in our prologue, we wanted to talk about the fact, how does it happen Then they get from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Okay. And we all know from Luke chapter 2, what? There was a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, okay? A lot of times we say that all the world should be taxed. That's because for them, census a long times went together with taxation. It was just another way to tax the people, okay? So in this registry, though, the people had to go back to their place of birth, to their lineage, okay? So Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David, which we saw last week as we went through Matthew chapter 1. So Joseph was required to come all the way down to Bethlehem. Now, just a little side note here for you, okay? That as they traveled, again, straight route, problem is, those are all mountains, okay? So Beth Nazareth, if you look at it, is on a, is on a mountaintop. Small mountaintop, not massive mountaintop, but it's on a mountaintop. Right here, do you see this kind of arrow thing here? This is, this is Google satellite imagery, by the way. Okay? Can you see this darker spot, kind of like brownish right here? Almost looks like an arrowhead. That's the Valley of Jezreel, otherwise known as the Valley of Megiddo. You know it as Armageddon. Okay? That's Armageddon. Okay? And so that's where, like, um, so right here, this dot, dot right there, that's Mount Tabor. Okay? And that's where, um, so like um, Deborah and Barak were here when they fought Sisera and such. Many battles down over here is Mount Geboa, where um, Gideon would have set up. Okay, So a lot of the battles that you read about in the Bible 
actually happened in this plane right here. It's just, we've talked about it in the past, but it's just set up for, for war. Okay, it's just really kind of neat. Um, so Nazareth sat on the hill overlooking it. Okay, so they would come down into, the, into that plain, and then they would travel over to the Jordan Rift, okay, the Jordan Valley Rift, okay, the Jordan River, and they would travel down along it. They would cross over, actually, and come down on the, the eastern side, and then they would cross back over near Jericho, okay, they'd cross back over Jordan near Jericho, and then they would go through Jericho, and they would go up a wadi, okay, you say, what's a wadi, okay, a w- say again. It's a dry, yeah, it's a gouch, okay? It's deep, okay? So picture out west, southwest, where it rains in the mountains, okay? And it doesn't rain down in, in the desert. Has anybody ever seen a, uh, seen Verge? You have, that's right. Anybody else other than Gabrielle know what Verge is? Say again? No, it's not. It's rain, it's rain that doesn't hit the earth. It's so dry that evaporates before it touches the earth. It was kind of fun. The one time we went out on a missions trip, we had a, um, a car that had a sunroof, and we, there was a rainstorm coming up, and I opened up the sunroof. And the kids thought it was nuts. I said, you're going to love this. And so we ran under the storm. And you could see the rain above you, but it didn't hit you. How cool is that? Anyways, but it hits the mountains, because the mountains are higher. So it, as it hits the mountains, it collects in the mountains, and it rushes down into the lowlands, and it makes a big gully, a big gouch, okay? In Israel, that's called a wadi, okay? And so along the side of the wadi, okay, is a, is a, is a walkway. That was their road, okay? And so some places, Marsh and I were on, on it. We did a wadi walk when we were there years ago. And some parts were literally just enough for one person to walk on, okay? That's where the, um, the Good Samaritan story comes from. Okay, around the corners, that's where the, the crooks would, would kind of hang out. Okay, and so, so they would be walking on this thing. This is where the caravan then would be traveling. So they would join up with a caravan that was heading down that way because you wouldn't go on your own because you'd be knocked over the head. You know, you just don't, it's like, think out Old West. Okay, and so they would come up in the wadi then. This whole caravan's coming up with all these donkeys and, and, and camels and whatever else and people. And, and you just got this big, long line of, of people traveling along. Okay? So they would come up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was up in the mountains. So in the Bible, you always read about, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. It's because everybody was going up to Jerusalem. And then, then Mount Moriah, which is where the temple was, that was even the high point of Jerusalem. So you were continually ascending when you're going up. So that's why, as you read later on in this chapter, it says, and they went down to Nazareth. If you look at the map, it's not, it's not what? It's not down. It's what? It's up, because we consider north as up. They were thinking, though, altitude. They went down to Nazareth. Okay? They weren't thinking north, south, east, west at that moment. Okay, that the concept was they were actually going down in elevation to Nazareth. Okay, so this is then they traveled. Okay, from there, and we see then the house of David was still rooted in the city of Bethlehem. It's an interesting statement for us. Okay, because the house of David has been what? It's been gone. Has there been a king? Was Herod of the lineage of David? No, he was an Idumean. Does anybody know what an Idumean really is? For us, when we take the Old Testament, say again, 
He was an Edomite. Yeah, exactly. He was an Edomite. Who were the Edomites? Good job. They were the descendants of Esau. Jacob and Esau. Jacob became Israel. Esau was the one who God didn't love, if you would, biblically speaking, right? And so Herod was a descendant of Esau. Far cry from a descendant of David. Okay? So, so the descendants of David aren't reigning at this time. Okay? In fact, the one to whom God is going to use to bring the Messiah is just a simple carpenter. As we're going to see toward the end, he's a nothing. In a city of nothingness. But he still knows he's what? Of the house and the lineage of David. And so the house of David is still considered to be focused at this point in Bethlehem. Okay? This is very important because when they do a lot of the lineages right now, remember last week I talked about how there were some who were showing themselves the lineage and stuff like that? Okay? If we go back to the previous one, they say that the, the, the house of David moved up to the, the city of Aleppo. And, and so that they believe that all the lineages come from Aleppo. But at this point, the house of David is still where? In Bethlehem. Okay? So they go down to Bethlehem. And so this is where we come into this point. You can turn the light back on, Marsh. This is where we come to this point then of coming into the story where the wise men, okay? And so we read in the very beginning, in verse 1, okay? It sets us up, bringing in, it says, Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. So we're in Bethlehem. In the days of Herod the king, who was the Edomian, okay? Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, okay? And so, we have these wise men that came. Did I, did I show that one? I skipped a... Uh... Huh. I thought I had a... Uh... I don't. Hmm. I thought I had... I must have deleted that slide. I thought I had this slide. But you can, if you can see this slide, this, this yellow arrow, okay? This is how they would have traveled, okay? That in here is all desert, so they wouldn't have traveled straight across because they wouldn't go through the desert. But they would have to go up the Euphrates River Valley. Then they would cross over into Syria and Damascus. And they would come back down north, down through. Okay? So these wise men come in. Okay? Now, what we know, know about these wise men okay, is their expectancy. Do I need to go backwards on this? No, right there. Okay. Is the expectancy of it. Okay? And their position is that they were, literally, they were astrologers. Okay? We... Um, could make them magicians, sorcerers, if you would, okay? And so I have here in Daniel chapter 1, okay? You can look at it if you want in your Bible, but verses 3 and 4, then down to 18 and 20, where we find out that Daniel and Azariah, Hananel, and Mishael, you know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were all magi, okay? Um, they were these Sorcerers. They were the astrologers, and they were taken. So we read, beginning in Daniel chapter 1, it says, The king, that is Nebuchadnezzar, okay, instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Okay? So there were Jewish boys who potentially were descendants of David, okay? And they were going to be brought 
to be taught in Babylon. While they were going to be taught. While we find out at the end of the chapter what they were taught. It says, Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Okay? The term there in the Greek Septuagint is magi, magoi. Okay? That's who these magoi are. Okay? They're astrologers, sorcerers from the east. Okay? Who came in. Um, you have other, well, no, you don't have sermon note sheets. And so, and I don't have mine to tell you which ones were there. Um, <laughs> it's all on God's plan, right? This is all good. Sovereignty of God works. So, but you have there's, there's other, these other passages then where we read, yeah, so I got to go back and talk here from my, from my memory, where Balaam, okay, you remember Balaam? Okay, Balaam was a what? A prophet. What kind of a prophet? Was he a false prophet? Ah, see, now this is a struggle, isn't it? Was Balaam a prophet of the Lord? For a short time. Good. Okay, now this is a struggle because Balaam is from the east. From El Pethor, Pethor, okay? He's from the east as well. And so when Balak, the son of Zippor, goes to find somebody to curse Israel, he travels to the east to get one of these magi, these sorcerers, to, to come and to put a curse upon Israel. But we know that Balaam initially says what? When, when the, the representatives come to him, he says, let me go what? See what Yahweh says. Right? He, he says that. That drives some people crazy because they want to label Balaam as totally a false prophet, right? But So he goes and says, nope, Yahweh says I can't go. And so they come back. And so he goes back to Yahweh. And so finally Yahweh says, what? Look, you really want to go, so just go. But only say what I tell you to say. And then we have the donkey that speaks to him, right? And so, so he goes to Israel. And Balak thinks he's going to curse them. And so he says, set up seven altars, right? And he goes there. And, and Balaam opens up his mouth. And what, hap- what comes out? Blessings. That's right. And seven times this happened. He blesses Israel, right? But then Balaam is the one who then turns around to Balak and tells him, look, all I can do is bless them, but here's how you can really destroy them. And so Balaam's the one, we know this from later on, Balaam is the one who tells um, the Moabites that they can send their women in, okay, and distract the men and cause the men to follow after them because if they followed the women, they would ultimately follow the gods. And so they were the, so Balaam was the one who gave the advice. Okay? So what we know though, Balaam is, he's from the east. Okay? He's one of these guys. And Balaam is the one who gives the, the, um, the prophecy that we read in Numbers 24. Okay? Regarding the star. Okay? We read, this is Balaam speaking. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. The point is, I see somebody out there, but he's not right now. He's talking about somebody in Israel, and it's going to be a distance out in the, in the future, okay? A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. 
Now, this is important because when the, the, the Magi come, they say, where is he who's born, born, been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. Not a star, not a convergence of stars. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, again, I'm not telling you to, to, to follow the stars and don't look at the horoscopes. We're told not to do that biblically, right? However, Genesis chapter 1 God stated in, when, in day four, when he created the sun, moon, and the stars, that he placed them in the heavens, not only to tell us the, the times and the seasons, but also to tell us what? Signs. They were put there for signs. Not just, just for telling us what the day, the month, the years are going to be, but they were also going to be for signs. So clearly we know that there are, the, that the heavens are a timetable, if you would, of God. How? We're not specifically what? Told. However, there is some truth out there. You've got to be careful. Because Satan loves to take things and do what? Distort them. Okay? And so, um, but what we do know is the Magi had wisdom that came from the stars. Okay? Somehow. And they looked up, and they saw a star, which they recognized as the star of the prophecies coming all the way from Balaam, that was indicating that the king of the Jews, Messiah, was going to be born. It's mind-boggling stuff. Because this is how long later? Think about it. Israel was just going into the land. Make sense? Okay? So this is even before the time of the judges. This is before Joshua. This is in the book of Numbers. They're just coming out of Egypt. So we're talking about something that was almost 2,000 years prior. A two, almost, almost a 2,000 year prophecy. Probably more like around 1,500 years. Okay? Because you've got to take out the 400 years of Egypt and stuff like that. But a prophecy that was made almost about 1,500 years before they're seeing fulfilled. And they're recognizing that this is the fulfillment of it. Now, I, again, I, I want you to be careful. We're not talking astrology here, okay? But w- the big thing I want you to get out of this, okay, is that these men, right or wrong, indifferent. They want to be right. We know that because we're reading about it, right? They saw an indicator of something which they believed was the fulfillment of God's prophecy. And what did they do? They followed it. They pursued it. They committed themselves to following. Now, I don't know whether God sent them a word as well to tell them, hey, this is the star. We're not told any of that. All we're told is that they came to find the king of the Jews and to worship him because they had seen his star. Now, when they saw his star, I want you to get rid of some thoughts here. Did they follow the star to Jerusalem? No. That's not what we're told here. Read it. We saw his star, and so we came to worship him. They immediately what? Assumed that the king of the Jews would be where? In the capital of the Jews. And the rest of the world may not like this, but the capital of Israel was where? Jerusalem. Okay? So, So they came to Jerusalem, 
to find he who was born king of the Jews. And they were greatly dismayed that they couldn't find him. Well, the rest of the city becomes very dismayed as well. We'll talk about that in a moment, right? So first they come to Israel, okay? They heard, they saw the star, and so they immediately go to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, they begin to ask all about it, right? But nobody knows. Nobody knows where Messiah is. It's coming as a what? A surprise. Isn't this interesting? It's coming as a surprise, as a shock to the people. Now, I want you to stop for a moment, and I'm bringing in other scripture here, okay? But in Luke chapter 2, okay, after the birth of Jesus, where does Joseph and Mary go? Eight days later. Where? To the temple. They go to the temple for him to be circumcised. When they go to the temple for him to be circumcised, what happens? Not Zacharias. Anna and Simeon. Anna and Simeon are there. Okay? What do Anna and Simeon know? They're waiting for him. And they knew that this was him. At least Simeon did, right? And then Anna might have seen... He had that halo over his head. Yeah, yeah. They walked in and there's this... this. No! But they knew. God had given them into waiting, okay? And Simeon says, now I can die. Now I can die. I've been waiting for this moment. Here he is. Yeah, there wasn't this banner over him. Joseph and Mary didn't come walking in with a herald in front of him. Hail the newborn king! Hail the new... You know, the the magi have never been to them yet. We're going to see this in a moment, okay? The magi haven't been there yet. So this is before the Magi ever came. So they can't even say, look, this has been tested to by, by even kings of the, or Magi of the East. They came to worship him. They can't even say that yet, right? So they go. So the point is that there is things that are happening already in Jerusalem where he's recognized. Does it make sense? Does Simeon and Anna die before the Magi come? Did nobody pay attention to Simeon and Anna when, when Jesus comes into the temple? And, and, and Simeon begins to rejoice in the redemption of Israel. Ah, they all kook. There he is again, you know. And now he's putting blessings upon some kid. Think about it. Did not wind of that get to Herod? Apparently not. When the Magi come to Jerusalem and they're looking to where this newborn king is, nobody knows. But word gets to Herod, and he's not very pleased. We'll talk about him in a moment. So they continue their pursuit because word comes to Herod, right? And we'll talk about his reactions in a moment. But for this point, as we're talking about the expectancy of the Magi, that what we want to look at is that Herod, we're told, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star would appear, that it did appear, okay? And so he got information from them, and then he sent them to Bethlehem. When they heard the king, they departed, behold, the star which they had seen in the east, so not the star that they had followed because they didn't follow a star but they looked up they put their eyes back on the star i think of peter here peter's in the boat there's a storm he looks out he and the other disciples and what does he see no not yet well i mean yes he sees a ghost Okay, right. I understand it's Jesus, but he sees a ghost, right? And they get even more fearful, right? 
But then he recognizes Jesus says, it's me. And Peter says, what? If it's really you, then what? Call me out onto the water. That's kind of dumb. Anyways, <laughs> I always thought it was like, uh, if it's not him and he wants to kill you, it's really good to call that out too. Anyways, and so, so Peter says, well, come on out. Or Jesus says, come on out. And so what does Peter do? He goes out on the, and he walks on water. He's walking in the, on the storm. He's just walking out to Jesus, right? And he's almost to Jesus. I say that only because Jesus puts out his hand and picks him up, right? He's almost to Jesus. I don't know how far he walked. He might have walked a quarter mile. I don't know. He might have walked two steps. I don't know how far he walked. But I know he starts walking, right? And on the midst of walking, all of a sudden, what? He starts thinking about everything else. He takes his eyes off of the Lord and places it on everything else and does it in his own strength, if you would. And he what? He sinks. The Magi saw the star. They got the word. Whatever the, however that happened. And they instantly, what? Made an assumption. And they followed in their own way. Okay? And said to go to Jerusalem. Because the point I want to bring to you right here is, look what it says. And when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. The star did what? Move in some manner. It would have what? Led them. In fact, it led them where? Directly to the child. How does that happen? I don't know. I mean, think about it. There's a lot of places that you can be directly under a star. But you got to, is the Bible true or not? Is there a reason why God put that in there or not? But they followed the star. Now, I don't know whether the star started coming down until it kind of sat, you know, and then it hovered back up. Maybe it was an alien ship. Anyways, so, <laughs> anyways, that's what people would say, isn't it? I don't know how it happened, but I know it happened. Does it make sense? And I wonder, this is just Bob's thinking through this thing, if the wise men would have then followed the yonder star, would they have even stopped in Jerusalem? I don't know. You know would, they, would they? I don't know. I mean, it was maybe God's plan for them to stop in Jerusalem anyway. God, again, uses what? Our, our stupidity sometimes to bring about what actually is necessary. Would they have stopped in Jerusalem anyway because it was a stopping point? I don't know how this would have played out. Okay? But I find it very interesting okay, that, that when they came out, they look up and... There's the star. And the star, I don't know, did it wave at him? Hey, guys, look, I'm here. You were supposed to follow me. And so they follow the star, and they get there. So again, back to me, to you. Did you ever have a feeling that God was asking you to do something? And instantly you do what? Take over? And you do it what? Your own way, yeah. And then, when what? When you don't get the, the ultimate desired res- results, you finally say what? You look back up, if you would, and say, um, was there more? And you find out that what? Yeah, there really was. You just stopped listening when they told you, 
by the way, I want you to take the garbage out. You know? And so instantly, you hear what? I'm going to take the garbage out, right? And so, boom, I go out and I what? And no, no, I'm not picking on Andrew or Anna, okay? And I'm not picking on myself. But just an illustration, because it happens a lot of times, doesn't it? You take the garbage out, and you come back in the house, and you find out what? The rest, the whole house trash needed to be done before you took it out. <laughs> okay? So if you would have just finished listening to the, uh, to the command, you would have got what? The, the details that went with it. Okay? So kind of the concept. So there's the wise men. So they, they follow it. Okay? And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So they get there. Okay? And so the pursuit ends at the place where Jesus is born. It's exciting. Okay? But the next thing we see, we see their, their posture. It says, when they came into the house, note they came where? They came into the house. Okay? We're going to talk about timing in a, in a moment when we get to Herod. But they came into a house. Where was Jesus born? In, in a stable. Okay? They placed him in a manger. Okay? No, but I get it because we, a lot of times we say that. But the manger is actually the feed trough. So he wasn't born in the feed trough. They actually laid him in the feed trough. He was born in a stable. And many people, again, think you know, this wooden stable, okay? But it probably was more of a cave, okay? Or it may have been underneath somebody's house because they would store their animals underneath their house to give them warmth in the wintertime. So regardless of where it was, we know he was born in a stable during a time of the census. But now when the Magi come, they're in a house, okay? So, they, so you know, God knew where, where he was moved to. You know, and led them to the right spot. And so they come to the house. They saw the young child, the young child, not the what? The baby. With Mary, his mother, and fell down and they worshipped him. Huge, huge thing going on here. Okay? Now, again, context in in understanding things. Okay? These were men of the East, right? Um, And they came to what? Okay, so they came to worship. Proskuneo. This is what they did. What does that look like? Do I look like a Muslim? Muslims were from where? From the East. That's what they did. That was the concept of really worshiping. We say, oh, I'm kneeling in my heart. But you know what? When you assume this position, ugh, it gets harder as you get older. Getting back up is even better. But when you get down and you're like this, you're defenseless. If somebody wants to take the sword, the scimitar, and what? You're instantly gone. You're defenseless. It's not like Gideon, where he had his troops. Right? In the 600 that God told Gideon to take were the 600 that kept the knee and they brought the water up. Make sense? Why? Because they were in a physical war. They weren't worshiping. Does that make sense? That had nothing to do about worship. But when I go before God, I've got to give it all up. And these magi, that's what they did. They prostrated themselves before God. It's literally, they fell down and prostrated themselves before a baby. Before a baby. 
They worshipped him, is the idea. And that idea of worship, then, was elevating him above themselves. I really think, as American believers, we really have to relearn the humility of worship. I don't really believe we fear God like we ought to. We don't revere God as we ought to. He's my Abba. He's my Father. And that's very important. He wants me to sit on his lap and read a good book to me. His good book. But there's a point where he still is. He's God. He's the one to whom every knee will bow. And if we know that, why are we afraid to do that or refuse to do that now? It's a hard practice. I keep, it's kind of like making a covenant with your eyes thing, you know. I keep making this covenant that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off every day on my knees. I'm going to end every day on my knees. And it lasts for so many days. And then you get distracted and something else happens and, and stuff like that. Or you're, you get embarrassed because other people are going to walk in the room and, and, you know, you don't want, I don't know about your house. And so it's a hard practice. But I want to challenge you to... To make that, make that a, a commitment that start kneeing, nailing before God. And, uh, you know, the picture of the little kid doing their bedtime prayers. What do you always picture? They're nailing beside the bed. Okay? And so we tend not to do that. We sit on our couches and we pray now. We want to be comfortable. So, and when they came, they fell down and they worshipped him. Okay? Their posture. And then we read about their presence. They brought him... Gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought him what? Costly gifts. Not cheap gifts. They didn't bring him trinkets from the East. Oriental trading. Okay? So, <laughs> yeah. They didn't bring him the trinkets. They brought him the good stuff. Each one of them, as we sang the song, I love this, the, the We Three Kings song for that reason. It brings out each one of them. Gold was for what? For a king. The money, okay, they were going to wind up needing this money as they traveled. Frankincense, it was what they would use in the incense that they would burn to the gods. Picturing his deity. Myrrh, it's the ointment that was used in death. What a, what a gift to give to a, a baby. Here, we're going to bring you myrrh <laughs> for your death. But in a sense, think about this. I don't know how much they understood, how much God gave them. But I think there's a, a, a point that these three gifts are stated. A recognition of who he was, what his ministry would be. And so they came and they presented their gifts to him. Well, then we run into the apathy of the, of the scribes. We're going back to Jerusalem now. Okay, this isn't very long. This is all we have on them. But this is an amazing thing to me. Again, remember, Simeon and Anna were where? They were in the temple. They were at the temple. How long had they been at the temple? For Anna, we read Anna. I think, if you can go back and check me out on this one, I almost think she was almost there 60 to 80 years in the temple. Check, check out on this. She had been a widow for a long time. Seven? Just Seven? Somebody looked that up. Luke chapter 2. Okay? I'd like to put out the right, right date on this. 
Right. She was only married. She was, she was widowed a whole lot longer than she was actually married. And, and, and the indicator is that she spent that time in the, in, in the temple. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. She dedicated the rest of her life to Yahweh in declaring, say again? 84 years. So the debate would be, was she 84 years old, or was she in the temple 84? The way it's worded, you can debate that either way. Okay? So you can go anywhere from 60 to 84 years that she was in, in, this, in the temple. Okay? Looking toward what? The coming Messiah. Simeon was there, continually declaring he knew that he wasn't going to die. Until when? He saw the Messiah. Okay? And so, here's this guy declaring. So, anyways, again, I, I just got to believe that somehow somebody heard something and they had to make a what? A decision. Because now, the, the wise men, they come to Jerusalem. Word comes to Herod. So, Herod immediately says to himself, Huh, I need what? I need some facts about this, right? So, when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. Who are the chief priests and the scribes? They're the guys who, who, who work where? In the temple. Do you get it? Okay, they're the leaders of the temple. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Interesting point here. They didn't say to him, Oh, that's a, that's a good one, King. Um, give, us a, give us a couple days, we'll be back. We've got some scrolls to go through. But instantly, they come back and they said, Oh, that's an easy one, king. They said to him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew what? Immediately. They knew the prophecies. They were looking forward, theoretically, to the Messiah coming. They knew where he'd come from. And yet, he had already been there. And they what? They rejected it. That's why I said last week there was some people who would debate when the rejection of Messiah actually occurred. Was the rejection of Messiah on the cross or the rejection of Messiah potentially at the birth of Christ? Okay. Now we know the ultimate rejection was when? When he, when he was killed. Okay. But there's some rejection happening even at this moment. The apathy of these guys. There are magi coming in. They're stirring up all of Jerusalem. Do you think they heard about the magi being in town? Do you think they knew what they were looking for? Don't you think they would find it very interesting when Herod called them in? And asking about it? And yet, we never read about the chief priests or scribes doing what? Going to check, going to Bethlehem. This is the time they've been waiting for. And yet they ignore it and they reject it. And so I wonder... Do I tend to be that way sometimes? You know the word. You can quote the word. But you allow the word to lose its impact in your life. And you become very apathetic about it. I mean, think about it. How many verses can you quote? Do you think about them? Do they control your life? Anyways, it's a very important thing for me. Then we have this antagonism of the king. A lot, of, a lot of words up here, okay? But it's very huge. We go back up to the story again here, right? Where they come, and, and Herod, he hears. Now, this is very important here, okay? When we, his deception with the Magi, okay? He calls them in, 
And he asks them some details, right? He asks them about when they heard, when the ter- the term, determined from them what time the star appeared. What we're going to find out about Herod is Herod was a believer. But not the way we mean it. Because Herod's going to act on what he believes. And a statement I wanted to make as I went into this, and I, since I don't have my sheet here, right? That what you believe ultimately is going to factor in how you act. So the expectancy then of the Magi, they what? They believed. They saw the star, and they what? They believed. It, it shaped the rest of their year. They, they, they went on a journey. It wasn't like they'd been waiting years for this journey. You know, wow, this, everything's here. No, they, they started this journey, and they, they began this trek, and we saw coming through Mesopotamia, and think about how long that must have taken for them to travel. Again, they didn't have a car. They didn't get on a plane. It took a long time. They had to be committed to this thing, right? The chief priests and the scribes, the people that you would have expected would be excited about this, really didn't believe, did they? They had the word of truth, but how do we know they didn't believe? They didn't do anything about it. Herod, on the other hand, he hears. Think about this now. He doesn't hear this from the chief priests and the scribes. He doesn't hear this from the Jewish people. He hears it from who? Magic. Magic. Pagans. Gentiles. Who, who know it by the stars. Right? And then he brings the chief priests and the scribes in. And the chief priests and the scribes sort of confirm it to him. And so he goes with the Magi and falls on his face to worship the newborn king, right? Eh, no. He says, I'll find out. So he says, when did the star appear? So he starts to declare, starts to figure out how old the what? The child's going to be, right? And so then we see later then after this about the Magi, um, beginning in verse 12, I'm going to read it from here, instead of there. It says, Then being divinely warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. In other words, they didn't go back where? Through Jerusalem. Okay? Smart guys. Okay? So they didn't go back through Jerusalem. They went home. They went back a different way. Okay? Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child, and his mother flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I shall call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Okay? So stop for a moment. How long do you think he waited for the wise men? About a month? Okay? Because the Magi would have gone, right? They would have presented their gifts. They may have hung around for a little bit, but again, it's only six... Six miles, it would have only taken them a day to get there. Make sense? So even if he gives them a month, okay, stretch it, make sense? Then all we're adding is a month to this. Herod then 
chooses to kill all the babies who are what? Two years old and younger. Question that you have to ask as you interpret this, because we want to interpret literally, right? But there are some things that become subjective in our interpretation here, okay? When did the star appear? Did the star appear prior to the birth of Jesus? Or did the star appear when Jesus was born? Does it make sense? There there are some things that you need to to ask. What we do know from um, this passage, using a literal interpretation, is that the star must have appeared when? Within two years. Okay? How do I know that it must have appeared within two years? Yeah. Good. We, we know what they told Herod, and we see who Herod killed, right? So Herod probably was making a little swath there as well to make sure he gets everybody, right? Okay? So, so we know that by this time, Jesus is probably somewhere between the age of a year and two years old. Make sense? So you, you get where we're going on that one? Okay? So it's, it's an important thing, okay? And that's why he's called a young child at this point, not a baby. Okay? And so Joseph now is warned, and he goes to Egypt, okay? Herod comes down, and we have the slaughter of the innocents, okay? A lot has been written on that. A very tragic moment, and you have to ask yourself, why did God allow this? Because God what? He allowed it. I don't necessarily have a good answer for you, okay? Other than I know that God allows the sin of man to work atrocities because of the sin of man, and God is a God of grace, he's a God of love, and he's sovereign. Could he have stopped what happened in Bethlehem? Certainly. That's exactly right, certainly. But he chose not to. And so you have to deal with this one. Makes sense? There's a lot of things in the Bible that I just have to what? I have to deal with. It isn't the way, what, say again? Trust. I got to trust, you're right. It's not how I would have done it, and so, therefore, I have to trust God in the wisdom of God that God's ways are perfect. They're higher than my ways. His thoughts are beyond my thoughts. Does it make sense? And so, when I run into a passage like this, because this is what the world loves to point at. The world loves to point at passages like this and say, if that's the kind of God you serve, I don't want anything to do with him. It was to fulfill what Jeremiah prophesied, yes. But Jeremiah still prophesied it, not necessarily that God wanted it to be and caused it to be, but that it would what? That it would happen. But still, God could have what? Even at that point, knew it was going to happen and stopped it from happening. Do you get what I'm saying? But God allows sinful man, in the free will that we have, to continue to operate. Otherwise, we'd just be automatons. And so, as a result of giving us free will, there are atrocities that come into, our, into, the, into the world. Okay? And that's just where I have to place it at. I mean, I understand it biblically, and, it, and it's a struggle for me, because I look at God and say, God, why didn't you spare those kids? Okay? And it's easy for us, looking back 2,000 years ago, and just read it as history. But again, I want you to place yourself there. Be one of those other families who were living in Bethlehem on, at that day. That wouldn't have been a pleasurable moment. Okay? So, but God knew it was going to happen, and he caused Joseph to remove Jesus and Mary from it and go to Egypt, okay? So Herod, okay, so we have the Magi who believe, believe, really believe, and they what? 
And they give it all. You got the chief priests who should have believed, who don't believe. Then you got Herod, who is, is the enemy. And think about this. He believes. But he what? He fights against it. Do you remember when Jesus, after the, 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 the storm on the, on, the, on, the, on the lake, right? They wake him up, and he says, peace be still. The storm settles down. And they, they land in, the, on the, on the, in this, the area of the Gadarenes. And who meets them? Say again. The demoniac. What was the demoniac's name? Or, Legion. Legion. Because there were what? Many. Okay? And so, how did the demoniac, how did Legion meet him? What did he do? Who said that? Is that Steve? Say it again. He fell down. He came and he prostrated himself, just like these magi. What did he say? Do you remember what he said? What have we to do with thee, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come before the time to cast us into the pit? James chapter 2 tells us that the devils believe, and they what? They shudder. But they don't worship. They don't give themselves over to God. Herod was a believer. You get it? But he wasn't a follower. He was a fighter. There are a lot of people who do that. We've got to move on. So now we have the epilogue, okay, where we have this angelic appearance to Joseph, because this gets us back to Nazareth. Okay? And so the end of the story, we have the angelic appearance comes to Joseph, just like he had in the beginning. Right? God comes to him in a dream again and tells him to move him. So Joseph does what he, was, he learned before, and he listens to the, the angelic um, message, and he, he, he travels then to Egypt. But then we're told that he shall be called a Nazarene. Okay? So after Herod dies, he receives a what? Another dream. He receives another message. Okay? telling him that he can go back now. And it doesn't tell him where to go back to. It doesn't tell him to go back to Bethlehem. It doesn't tell him to go back to Nazareth. It just tells him that he can go back because the one who sought the baby's life is now what? Is dead. Okay? So we're told that he goes back. um, For those, verse 20, those who sought the young child's life are dead. Verse 21, he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Okay? But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. So, instead of returning then to Judea, which was, remember again how close Jerusalem and Bethlehem is, okay? instead of coming under the shadow of Herod, Archelaus, he decides to return to his homeland, to go where he grew up. They go back to Nazareth. Okay? And we're told that it might be fulfilled that he will be called a Nazarene. There is no prophecy stating that he will be called a Nazarene. What do you do with that? Isn't that what it says here? That it might be fulfilled? And so it was that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the what? Prophets, not prophet prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, some of this is understanding what the word means. Okay? So, 
the word Nazarene, do I have a slide here? I do, okay, is Natsar, is the Hebrew word Natsar, okay? Natsar is the Hebrew word for uh, not a branch necessarily, it's a branch, but it's actually the suckling. So, um, so I picture this like on a tomato plant, since I don't really do big plants, okay? But big plants are the same way, trees are the same way, okay? Like if you picture a tomato plant, sometimes there's a sucker that comes out, okay? And it's, it seems to be a nothingness, and a lot of times we what? We pinch them off, okay? Or a, a, a tender uh, um, limb that's coming out of the root system. So as the roots of the tree kind of go out this, every once in a while there's a what? Like a little one that when you're running your mower, you what? You cut right off, okay? That's kind of coming up, okay? And so that's a natsar. It's not the, the root. It's not the heavy branch. It's literally a young suckling, okay, that's coming up, okay? It's, it's a nothing. And so when we read Isaiah 11.1, 1, we read, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a natsar shall grow out of his roots. What's going to happen to the house of Jesse? To the house of David. To this. It's going to go away. He's not going to be a branch. He's not coming out from, the, from, from up above. He's actually going to come out of the what? The root system. Make sense? That he's not going to be off the big branch. That when he comes, he's going to be coming as nothing. Not what you would have pictured the king to come from. In fact, in John 1 then we read, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses uh, found him of whom Moses in the law wrote in, I forgot to put wrote in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything could come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So why Nazareth became the time called Nazareth, we're not sure. But the reality is that Nazareth, the city of Nazareth, was never seen to be any, worth anything. And so, potentially, it got its name from the fact that it was just nothingness. You know? And nobody was thinking about the prophecy down the road. But here we have at the end, right? Coincidental, that he who was going to be coming out of the, the roots of the Natsar of David, is living where? In the house of Natsar. Nazareth. Okay? And so here we have then this one who is going to be nobody. So you read Psalm 22, you read Isaiah 53. How is Jesus described? What was he going to look like? What was he going to be like? Was he going to be able to attract? Was he going to be like Absalom? He's going to be nothing special. He's going to be esteemed, not, not, he's going to be not highly esteemed at all. In fact, he's going to be a nothing. Nobody's going to look at him. There's going to be any special about him. He's just going to be a Nazar. Nothing special, just a suckling. And so they go back to Nazareth because out of Nazareth would come. The one who was going to be. So he's from Bethlehem. He's been born in Bethlehem, from out of the house of Bethlehem, right? And yet he's going to be where? Out of Egypt. And yet he's going to be out of Nazareth. How do you get all that? How does the one Messiah come out of Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth? 
Guess what? Ding. God had it all what? Had it all planned. When I think about the future prophecies, and a lot of times you say to yourself, I don't know how this could come together this way. Guess what? God does. That's exactly right. God does. It's all going to work. It's all going to fit. Even though our feeble little brains can't figure it out, God's got it all put together. So, what kind of belief and faith do you have? Are you expected and committed? Are you like the Magi? The ones that we would not have expected to be the ones to come and worship the newborn king. We would have expected the chief priests and the scribes, but they weren't. It was actually the, the Gentiles, the astrologers. That's like saying Mrs. Graham would be the one who's going to come and worship. You know Mrs. Graham is. She's the lady up on Bel Air Road, right? Reads the palms and all that other kind of stuff. It's like saying she's going to come and she's going to worship Jesus when he returns, but the pastors of the churches will reject. Make sense? That's basically what we've just what happened. Okay? Are you willing for the word of God to change your plans? That's what happened to the Magi. Changed their plans. The chief priests and the scribes didn't change their plans. <gasps> yeah, Bethlehem. That's Okay, anything else, King? Good. All right, we're going to go do what we're going to do. Has the birth of Messiah impacted your life? I know the answer is yes. But I could have put it in there, and I should have put it in there. How has the birth of Messiah impacted your life? That's a bigger question. Is there the need, then, to change the way you think, and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your goodness to us. I thank you. Lord, for the testimony of the Magi who believed, Lord, and it impacted their life, who changed their plans to follow after you. Lord, I pray that we would not be like those chief priests and scribes who, knowing the truth, rejected your fulfillment of it. Oh, Lord, I pray for our nation that we would be a nation that would seek your face. Lord, that we would be waiting for the king. That we would not be sleeping. Apathetic. And I pray for us as an assembly, Lord, that you would help us to be fervent in your word. But not just to know it, but Lord, to live it. To share it. To see people grow in your grace and knowledge because of it. Be magnified in Jesus' name. Amen.